Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. Uh, I am the Vice President of Business Development here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Um, Been here for getting right up until that 10-year anniversary, which is which is pretty cool. My uh, my boss, my friend Ranit Moko, who has been on the show a couple of times, I believe, um, actually just emailed me uh, a day or two ago to uh, to remind me that we're getting close to that 10-year, which is which is pretty special because it also means I've been here in California for 10 years and. Um, that's been a, a, a very interesting thing, especially now that it's sunny, it's bright, it's, it's a nice uh, Southern California day, and uh, all my family back home in New York is pretty much snowed in. So it's uh, kind of a, I don't know, I don't know if it's the right word, but it feels a little surreal. Uh, you guys uh, who are returning listeners know, uh, but for, for new people, uh, I'm I'm here at Autism Spectrum Therapies, but I'm also um, I'm a clinician. I'm an ABA guy, and I'm I'm a BCBA. I'm a board certified behavior analyst, and so I've spent the last ten years here in California, working with families all across the state, uh, doing some work in uh, a few other states as well. Uh, but before that, I started my career in the East Coast, working with uh, individuals with autism and related disorders in uh, Boston area, Massachusetts, and Connecticut as well. So I am. Now at that 13-year mark of, uh, of providing therapy and providing services, which is, uh, again, kind of cool, but also a little scary to look back and say, oh, my God, how, where's this time gone and how much, how much time have I been doing this for? Um, but it's, uh, it, it also gets kind of exciting when I get to meet new people and, and draw, from those, um, draw from those experiences and kind of expand them and... Uh, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about today, because I got a, a few different things on my mind in my head uh, to uh, to start off with, is uh, is an apology to you guys. I think two weeks ago when we had uh, Danny Shabani on the show, um, we talked about uh, Mary Jacob, uh, the executive director from Families Helping Families Jefferson Parish, being on the show, and uh, sure enough, we decided we were going to try something different. Um, since I was in New Orleans uh, talking to Danny, I figured let's. Let's get face-to-face. Let's do our first true face-to-face. Uh, you guys probably don't know, but um, when, we, when we do the show, um, people are generally calling in. People are generally dialing in. I'm sitting here in, uh, in my office uh, with my headset on, my, my Skype set up, and my guests are calling in. Sometimes they're Skyping in. And we're doing this almost like a conversation on the phone. But we got this really cool microphone, and I was all excited. We were going to do our first, you know, live, in the same room interview. And the interview with Mary was awesome. She uh, was incredible. It was actually one of my favorite conversations we've had on the show. And just like with anything else new that you're not quite sure how to do, the uploading didn't quite work out so well, and we ran into those technical difficulties. Uh, I, I may be 
the host of an internet radio show, but uh, I must admit my my IT skills are, are somewhat lacking. I'm a I'm a little old fashioned in in my use of technology, so um, the upload process did not work out so well. So we we lost that file. So we're gonna have to reschedule it. It's uh, it's a show that I personally am so bummed about because it was it was just a great conversation, and uh, I'm just disappointed that the the dialogue is delayed. I know it's going to get out there and, and Mary and, and Families Helping Families does such great work that the, the sentiments that uh, she expressed and some of the information she provided, they they provide every single day to families um, in Jefferson Parish as well as throughout the state of Louisiana, um, as, as I learned from, from our conversation. But there were so many great little pieces that she shared that I thought could help any family or any professional out there who was um, talking about some of the concepts we've talked about, whether it be social skills, adult transition, advocacy, awareness. I mean, we, we touched upon a lot. So um, my apologies to you guys, and I'm hoping to get her back on the show real soon because she really um, just has some, some great things to offer. And, um, and I found myself learning a little bit more from our conversation than I even expected um, particularly with regards to uh, charter schools. So uh, I'll kind of tease it there and, uh, and hopefully keep you guys wanting to uh, come back for more and uh, check out the show when she comes back on. All right, so that was my apology, not really my, my intro thought. Um, you know, what I am really kind of working on and thinking about right now has been uh, staff development. You know, normally I'm the guy out there talking to parents, meeting families, and I've actually got to take a little bit of a break from that and really spend probably the last two months um, really focusing on the development and, and training a, a handful of young behavior analysts. It's been something I've been doing here at AST um, and really kind of analyzing um, programs and progress uh, with couple of young, young behavior analysts uh, out in New Orleans, which is why it was uh, so convenient to try and do this face-to-face with, with Mary. And what's been really exciting for me is to be able to take this big, giant step backward and, you know, almost take these steps back to, you know, year one of, of my career, year two. And, and that's where I find myself drawing from. I, I've been thinking a lot about my first year or two at uh, the New England Center, and thinking a lot about um, my first year here at AST as, as I'm working with these guys and what is the natural progression and how the skills develop. And it really put into the, the therapy of what we do into a, uh, quite a different perspective. You know, so many times, you know, I, I now have this 13-year experience, this 13-year window, and... I tend to look at therapy and look at things um, for our families from my perspective. And what I've been finding myself doing more and more is looking at how our therapy is implemented from from these people's expect, yeah, perspective. Um, and it, it, it's very different. You know, you see this, you see this strong desire, and, and that's why I've been impressed by these gals is that they come in with this such a strong desire to be the best they can possibly be and to learn and to apply um, and also 
to be that expert to parents. And it's really, it's really incredible to see that. But you also, um, as I get to see, it's, it's the maturation of skills and putting it together. And it's it just given me this appreciation for, you know, how does a program start? Where is everyone at? Um, and really the importance of good quality supervision. And it's something that I don't know how much we've talked about on the show. We, we've talked about parent participation. And we've talked about individualization. And we've talked about you know, how I, as a BCBA, can work with a family and, and teach them and educate them and make them more aware of, of the program I'm implementing, how they can support it, how they can implement it, how they can really turn the intervention into wraparound care. And, and the thing that I've been really walking away from lately is, just how important that good quality BCBA supervision is, how critical it is to have someone in the home watching the program, looking at the program, analyzing the data. And it's the thing that so many parents have communicated to me, especially as I go to new places and meeting new people for the first time, that that we don't see. You know, um, I think Danny two weeks ago when we were talking to Danny Shabani, started to talk a little bit about this in, in a way. It's, you know, development of more BCBAs and, and the training of more BCBAs and how Calaba, for example, is working with the universities to help them get more BCBAs because that's part of our problem. There's not enough BCBAs out there to meet every child's needs. And on top of that, there's probably not enough well-trained, well-seasoned, experienced BCBAs to meet every child's needs. I can tell you that you know, I personally have had my BCBA now since 07. So I'm, I'm going on about seven years as a, as a board-certified behavior analyst. And the BCBA I am today is not the same BCBA I was seven years ago. You know, just because I got that certification doesn't mean, okay, now I'm an expert. Now I know everything. There was a lot more learning, and hopefully... There's a lot more learning to come for me. And I, I think that's one of the things that gets lost. You know, sometimes we say, okay, great, I've got the ABA therapy. Now my kid's going to make progress. There's that, I think there's a big piece of just making sure I've got the therapy, but do I have the right team in place? Do I have the right quality supervision happening every day? Do I have the right supports in place? Not just for me, but for the intervention team. You know, for the interventionists or for the teachers who are get who are participating and learning um, in maybe a consultation model, um, that supervision and and the experiences and the expertise of that supervisor are really critical, and it really is a different skill set to supervise. You can you can know everything. You can know that um, here's the science. I know it. I've read the books. I know the information. But supervising and training someone else to implement is, is a whole other story. It's a different skill set. Um, if, if anyone's curious out there, I know the BACB, the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, has actually been uh, taking some steps to make this a bigger part of, of what we do. Um, and they did some, uh, they created some requirements about training and making sure that BCBAs who are going to train and teach future BCBAs needed to get some training and, and um, uh, and document the training on how to be a good supervisor. 
because that's not something you get in your ABA coursework. That's not something I got from a master's program. It's something that I got from someone actually teaching me how to supervise. And it's something that um, we don't put enough emphasis on. And I'm hoping that by increasing awareness, by groups like CalABA doing what they do with conferences, by parents being more aware of you know, what is good supervision, how to find good supervision, and, and one of the easiest first steps for any parents out there is, is the supervisor coming to your home? Are they there at least every other week minimum, checking in, making sure they're seeing what's happening? Um, those, those are critical things to give you quick tips of, is this quality? Um, Frequency is one of the things. Um, what kind of conversations? Are there discussions? Are they referencing data? Are they sharing data with you and reviewing progress with you? Um, all of these are part of supervision. So as I think this through, we're going to take some time in some future shows to talk a little bit more about quality supervision. Um, you guys hear so much from me. I'm going to bring on a friend um, who, who I really respect, who's a BCBA, to, uh, to talk a little bit more about this. Um, so this will be something we talk a little bit more about in the, in the weeks and months to come. Anyway, let's get to the show. Let's get to our guest. Um, today, I am joined uh, by, um, by Julie Deep. Uh, Julie is a speech and language pathologist in her own private practice, as well as the ec- executive director of OC Autism, which is a nonprofit organization um, that is committed to ensuring the highest standard of care um, in the community. Um, she has a master's degree in speech and language pathology from Loma Linda University and a postgraduate certificate in applied behavior analysis from National University. And I know Julie is in the process or, or the final stages, I should say, of, of obtaining her BCBA. Uh, she also holds a certificate of clinical competence from the American Speech and Language Hearing Association, ASHA, uh, a credential in clinical or rehabilitative services, as well as a California state license. Um, she's the owner of New Hope Therapy Center in Orange County, which specializes in autism spectrum disorder, medical speech pathology um, for adults and children, and special education rights. Um, and as I said before, she's also the executive director and founder of OC Autism. Uh, Julie, welcome to the show. Opportunity to um, share about our organization and what we do for the community. Awesome. Um, well, it's great to have you here. Um, you know, I was hoping to actually start off and maybe talk a little bit about the organization. Um, okay. Because that's actually how I first met you uh, a few years back was uh, at an event you guys did. Um, I was curious how you founded um OC autism. Like, what was the inspiration and when it started? Well, um, I actually had my practice. I opened my practice about seven years ago, and I think in the first year of my practice, I felt that there were so many kids that had identified um, atypical behaviors and behaviors that are very concerning to me that impede learning. But you know, in the process of making the referrals to other disciplines and for diagnosis, I felt that a lot of our parents really didn't know what the initial steps were. You know, and the more I worked with our families in practice, I realized, you know, there's not that one center point for us to go to. There's so much information on the Internet, but not that one place where you can go for reliable resources. So that kind of was one of my main motivations to start OC Autism. 
The mm-hmm. other is that it's through one of my personal struggles. You know, I always go publicly and let people know that I was a child with special needs and I am an adult who relies on special ed accommodations as I went through my ABA program. You know, so I think having that personal struggle as a person with special needs and understanding the types of um, tools and the services that children require um, really prompted me to start an organization that was mostly service-based and uh, focusing on the family, and not just the family, but also um, making sure that, you know, we we train our our providers. I, I listened earlier, and you talked about the quality. It's mm-hmm. not about the frequency of service, but, you know, how much does that person know what they're working on and how how yeah. much does that person know the child with autism? Yeah. Yeah. No, th- I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into the quality. And I remember the last time we, we got together, that was actually a big part of the conversation um, that we had as well as with all the families about how mm-hmm. do you ensure quality within some of this changing landscape because at the time – insurance was, was the, that big topic. Correct, um, correct. You know, one of the things that I was really impressed with, and I'm hoping you can expand more about when it comes to OC Autism, your organization, is you guys do so much outreach and support to minority families. Um, I'm correct. curious how that started and how you ensure um, – well, let's start with how that started and what got you started – um, making that a big focus of of your organization. Well, but, you know, I am actually a bilingual Vietnamese speech language pathologist, mm-hmm. and um, I actually never really signed on to being an expert witness initially. But mm-hmm. I think I, I got started with you know attorneys coming to me because of my bilingual background. But it's not just being a bilingual therapist; it's learning the bicultural aspect of it. So. As I work with these families and, and go on through these cases, I realize that, you know, especially in the minority communities, there's such a great disparity of services mm-hmm. um, as far as the early diagnosis, intensive treatment, and, and all those things combined really impedes the, the progress of these children. As clinicians, we all know that early intervention is key and early intensive and quality intervention is what I'm looking at. So um, I frequent on, you know, the Vietnamese media, TV, radio, and newspaper Mm -hmm. to educate families. But I think one of our biggest um, difficulty is learning to dispel the myths and misperception about what autism is and what autism isn't, as well as um, the combination of services and providers and the team that should be um, working towards your child into the truly interdisciplinary versus a multidisciplinary team. So why don't you explain, you know, for, for our listeners, the difference between that, that multidisciplinary versus interdisciplinary? Well, um, a multidisciplinary team, meaning that they're, they're, your child is receiving different types of services, for example, and there's many people with different degrees, such as ABA and speech and OT, on the team. So it just says that the, your child is receiving a combination of services and mm-hmm. um, professional guidance. The difference is that when you have an interdisciplinary, that means there's conversations between and within the team. And I think that's one thing that I always talk about with parents and with professionals, that we all have great intentions to interact and learn from each other and to incorporate um, the services together. But um, I think we actually have to make a conscious effort to truly build an interdisciplinary team. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, what I, was, what I was curious about with 
that distinction, it, particularly as it pertains to some of the minority families that maybe you've worked with or yeah. some of the experiences you've had, I, I'm, I'm curious, is it more likely for a minority family, maybe some of the families you work with, who I know you work with a number of families where maybe English is not the first language and Correct. translation uh-huh. services are needed. Um, I remember you were translating to uh, someone when I was doing my presentation. And uh-huh. um, is it more likely from your experiences for the team to, despite best intentions, become multi versus inter because of cultural barriers and language barriers as it relates to our um, uh, our families because they themselves are essentially leaving the family out. Yes, I think one of the aspects of the cultural, and I speaking from the Asian culture from which I belong to, mm-hmm. is that I know that the cultural differences lend itself to the, how they communicate to the expert. Mm-hmm. In in the in this, in our culture, oftentimes parents are they do not want to question authority. It's that respect mm-hmm. for authority. And, you know, in, in the Western culture, we usually like parents to be more um, interactive and have a more active role within mm-hmm. the, the team. So I believe that, you know, by empowering parents to understand their active participation in the team and also even making empowering them to become the child's case manager. You know, mm-hmm. I think as as a professionals, we truly do want to make sure we, we provide the quality care that we, we can provide. But sometimes it's best facilitated by a family member who knows a child, who sees a child more often than we do, that yeah. they, they experience those throughout the day, throughout the communities. You know, oftentimes when I work with families, um, they might talk to me because I speak their language. But when they, go, when they come to their case manager or their, their service coordinator for, through the region, for example, um, they don't voice that same um, challenges. I know um, next week I'll actually, um, I'm flying out to Boston to present at the Federation for Special Needs. Nice. And um, one of my topics is autism, myth, and misperception. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing is that, you know, I've done so much um, research to see what is out there. And, of course, there's not a lot of research about, first of all, our Asian community and specifically the Vietnamese community. But if you do look at the um, the cultural respect for professionals and mm-hmm. their, at their roles in, in providing for their child's needs, I think because it's a passive role, that might mm-hmm. interfere, you know, when we talk about where ABA services is moving towards parent training. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hesitation in the, in those regards too. So what can the so like me as a professional, I'm a BCBA. I I supervise programs. I want to. I'm working with an Asian family that mm-hmm. um, exhibits or or has some of these um, components. And how can I be more like? What can I do to be more sensitive or create a better environment to um, help make the family be more comfortable and feel like they're part of everything. Okay. Well, um, if you, if you, because one of the things that you can, if you just Google the word uh, POS disparities, POS uh-huh. disparities basically is what the regional center in the state of California is required to report. Is, mm. Are there any differences in accessing from a person who is, of, uh, who is white, who is of color, who is of Asian descent? So if mm-hmm. you just research that, you'll see that, you know, Oftentimes with a patient, with a family that is from an Asian background, if they ask the question, are you happy with your service coordinator's um, ability to coordinate your child's plan? The answer is always yes. 
And are you happy with regional wow. centers? The answer is always yes. But then the, the next question that comes along is, is your child receiving what he needs? And the answer is always no. And oftentimes wow. you can see that there's such a discrepancy. So, you know, I think it's very important for us to understand that because, you know, when we, when we ask someone to help a family, I think you can only help them when you can understand how best to communicate to them. And I think um, one of the ways, one of the things that I would suggest is, first of all, always do the research on the fam, the, 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 that community, that culture, whether you work with a Hispanic family, a black family, or Asian family. You want to see how they, they view professionals, how mm-hmm. they take the advices, um, the ability for them to interact with them. So I think if you, if you see that, that, that research on the regional center is that, mm-hmm. yes, you know, in front of the supervisor, they're going to say yes and not and say thank you. But once you once the supervisor has left, they might be very unhappy, but they do not know how to voice that. You know, mm. so I think having a maybe um, as a as a you know as an ABA organization, maybe allowing parents to do it anonymously. You know, or just mm. to, to 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 do that. I mean, just because you're not um, you, we never want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, unhappy, you know. So Mm -hmm. you have different kinds of PIs who come to your house. And as a parent, you might, you know, there's always, I like this one more than the other. And as a supervisor, you hear that all the time, correct? And I think, you know, sometimes parents are very reluctant to say that unless it's it's very, it truly impedes it and it's very obvious that the difference, it's stark difference. But I think it's very hard for a parent to, to get to that point. But, you know, if you if we do an anonymous or maybe a periodic one, where you mm-hmm. can just say, you know, you're, you, you can give us your opinion, um, n- none of the staff will see it, you know, only the owner or the supervisor, you know, the area yeah. supervisor. Maybe mm-hmm. that can make families feel more comfortable to mm. be able to voice that. Um, I know as in my practice, I always have, you know, a feedback where I say, what can we do differently? How can mm. we better serve the family? You know, if I have my staff ask, they're more receptive to my staff. But then if I ask personally, they never say, oh, they're like, oh, I'm very happy. <laughs> right. You know, and we believe, you know, our family respect us as professional, which is a great thing. But oftentimes uh-huh. they're afraid to give us that constructive criticism that I think with, with all best intentions, sometimes mm-hmm. we do need to make sure mm. we better serve our community. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're, uh, we're already kind of deep into the show, so let's take a, a quick break. Um, play a couple commercials, and then we'll come back and have some more conversation with Julie. We'll be right back. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. From ABA to speech therapy, occupational therapy, and social skills, we have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission to support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. 
Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I uh, took a quick commercial break, but now we're back with uh, Julie Deep, uh, speech and language pathologist and executive director and founder of OC Autism. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always been impressed by with the organization is obviously the, the work you're doing in the minority communities, but I, I've always thought it was very cool how um, you were telling me that you work with families uh, really across the world. You have families you consult with in Asia, giving some support and resources to, um, I believe even one of them dialed into um, that presentation I did for the group. Um, you know, you've got all these diverse perspectives. You're hearing from lots of different people, not just within Orange County. And I was, I was curious if, you know, the, the environment's always changing, but, you know, right now, is there a a critical issue or critical issues that you hear families struggling with or um, trying to uh, overcome as it relates to just helping their kids with autism or supporting their kids with autism? Well, I know um, oftentimes even before we talk about even whether their child has autism, I know one of the critical issues is about making sure we get that diagnosis Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see that a lot of our families is they have a struggle trying to find a place to get diagnosed. And mm-hmm. once they do get that diagnosis is how do we get that intensive therapy? Um, when I, as I work within the community, because one of the, the goal of OC Autism is to learn to make sure that the child gets a full comprehensive program. Mm-hmm. And as we advocate and educate, we, we always talk to parents about how do you monitor your child's progress once they've got they they've had had some programming, and mm-hmm. how do we assess whether this combination of services is appropriate, and therefore what is the next step? So you know it's there's just so many things that parents have questions about that we as clinicians may may be a good um, guide for them to mm-hmm. um, to use so they know what other services they can recommend or what other services they they can access um, as a speech pathologist. You know, I'm usually the first person that the family sees because when a child does not speak, the doctor refers to a speech therapist. And I think as a speech pathologist, we look at those signs and symptoms and we make the discrimination is, is this a child with a delay or is this a child with a language disorder, which is more consistent mm-hmm. with, um, with autism. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think those are the things that, that we, we work in the community is educating parents about getting that right combination of services and the right combinations mm-hmm. of providers. You know, one, to, to go back to the diagnosis piece, because I want to, you, mm-hmm. you had a couple of comments I want to go further with. You know, okay. about a year ago, I think we started, uh, yeah, right about a year ago, we had on a number of guests um, 
from different communities across actually the country. Um, and we were talking a lot about the idea of people from different cultural um, backgrounds um, have a different likelihood of obtaining a diagnosis in a timely fashion. Um, we were looking at some studies done about um, the average white child versus the average black child and what age they received the diagnosis and that it was a, almost twice the amount of time. I think the, they were looking at something along the lines of about like two and a half years to like four and a half, five years. Mm -hmm. um, and I know also looking at the um, Hispanic community, there's also a big disparity. I don't know if anyone mentioned the Asian community. And I was just curious, since we were talking before about some of the cultural differences, um, you mentioned the um, not questioning the authority or, or not being as critical of the supervisor. Would that pertain to a, an MD or a, a psychologist or someone as well? You know, we've heard a lot of families say, the doctor saying, oh, don't worry, he'll grow out of it. Correct. Um, uh -huh. Are we seeing similar statistics with the Asian community or, or just based on your experiences? I would tell you it would be, be based on my, my experience only because there's not a lot of research out there within our community. Sure. But I think, you know, just with the families that come to me, you know, even I mean, whether it's an Asian family or a, you know, a, a, a white family, the, it's always the same. I suspected it. I saw the signs, mm. but the doctor told me it'll be okay. Or, you know, yeah. boys are, are, are late talkers. You know, right. so we, we do see that across the board. I know as I do my research and um, when I present, um, one of the research that, 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 that supports it is that it's not based on um, race, more so it's on SES, the social economic mm -hmm. status. So there's actually a disparity research that, is, that, that, that sees mm -hmm. that um, social economics being a, a major factor. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's one thing that I think we should look into is that you know, sometimes when a family has, uh, is on a lower SES, Sometimes it impacts their ability to even access quality clinicians. And, yeah. and, and, you know, as a provider in private practice, you know, we worked with so many insurances before and we accepted hundreds. But it gets to the point where, you know, rates of reimbursement was very hard for us to even maintain a viable practice. You know, so you have to pick and choose on yeah. which, organ, which, which um, groups you can maintain and which contracts you would probably just elect to be not part of, you know. So yeah. I think for me, I want us as providers to really focus on that, um, to see that, you know, some families need that extra support and possibly that extra level of advocacy mm -hmm. to be able to maintain that. You know, one of the things that I take pride in with my clinic, and maybe is you know, to, to a, a fault, is that I really truly make decisions based on child's needs. Mm -hmm. You know, and as a clinician, um, you know, you work in the field. Is you know, if you have a contract with a company, and sometimes making that decision based on what a child needs, and especially a child with with autism, their needs may be greater medically as far as costs, and yeah. that impacts our practice. You know, um, it impacts how much referrals I get from regional, or it impacts how much referrals I get from a certain medical group. You know, but I think you know when I practice, I believe in maintaining that quality. And mm -hmm. if, you know, I, I have my license on the line, and because I own my own practice uh, and I work as an expert witness, there's really no, nobody I have to answer to, so that mm -hmm. gives me that autonomy. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, as, as employees of organizations, of course, we're all defined by, you know, the funding sources. Sure. But I think um, it's very hard 
for us to um, to see that difference. Um, one of the things in, in ABA that I see, of course, and, and you might see the trend, is that you know when an organ when an ABA company provides therapy um, funded by regional, the services are minimal, maybe two to six hours, for example. But as soon as that insurance kicks in, that recommendation for ABA shoots to twenty to forty. And I think that's one thing as clinicians and as, as our ethical um, practice is that we can make decisions based on our funding sources because the child's need hasn't changed. But what has changed is who's paying for it. You know, and I think that's something to consider. Um, it's our world. And, you know, ABA and speech and everybody and with autism is still relatively new. Mm-hmm. So I think we're learning to navigate through the system and we're mm-hmm. learning to make sure how can we viably fun for everybody because, you know, funding for services for a comprehensive program for a child with special needs is very expensive, you know, sure. and we as a community, as a culture, as a society really need to prioritize and maybe um, divide and divvy up appropriately, and mm-hmm. I think that's a very hard conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, the it, it does feel like the funding, at least Spending 10 years here in California versus the way things are funded in a number of other states, it, it is mm-hmm. very nice to have the resources we have, the, the types of, um, you know, things like the Lanterman Act, uh, different types of funding sources in the state that, you know, having just been in Louisiana, I, the funding system there is very, very different. Um, mm-hmm. By having all those options has, I mean, I know I was amazed when I first moved here of how fragmented everything is. It's Yes. Well, this funds this, and this funds that, and it, it almost becomes difficult. I find it very difficult sometimes when you have all these different people funding all these different things, and as you said, comprehensive care is expensive, and so many families must seek these publicly funding mm-hmm. opportunities. It almost makes it harder to become an interdisciplinary team Correct. because you – the funding is so fragmented, it almost becomes, the program itself starts to become fragmented because funding source A isn't responsible for goal one, but they're responsible uh-huh, uh-huh. for goal two. Funding source but B then, doesn't no. want to work, and it gets crazy. Yeah, and I think the, the, uh, the bottom line is the needs of the child hasn't changed. And I think yeah. that's the biggest focus is that, you know, as a parent and as, you know, a professional in the field, you really have to look at the, the needs of the child. And I think, you know, I guess when I work with families, I guess I take it on a personal basis. They're all my children, yeah. you know. And if, right. if I think, you know, if we can help clinicians have that mindset that if this is not a job, but that mm-hmm. these are our children and our families, I think that will hopefully guide clinicians differently. You know, mm-hmm. so I think um, it, it's very challenging, and as you said, it is very yeah. fragmented because um, oftentimes I almost feel like they're just passing that hot potato, you know, yeah. and um, I know that a lot of times parents are having that hard time understanding the system, you know, especially in early start, you know, is that, you know, they're, they're bouncing between insurance and regional center back and forth, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, you know, even the, our referrals are going down, and maybe it's not that the, 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 there's less children in the community, but because that the system is so hard for parents to access, and mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of misguidance and misinformation, that mm-hmm. these parents do not know where to go. You know, um, it's not uncommon for for my parent to say, "Well, my worker says this," 
you know. And sure. I think that's one thing is, you know, as, a, as an advocate of children, you know, not, not swaying on, in any organizations or, or, or saying negative things about any organization, but as an, as an advocate for children, I always mm-hmm. see that, you know, parents should just focus on that, you know, my child needs the services, and how do I best get that? And if someone yeah. says no to me, can they say no? You know, because I, I hear parents always say, well, you know, they said I have to go through insurance or that I have to do this. And I said, well, technically, you really have to understand that, you know, if they do cut services, they have to send you that letter, that notice of action. And, you know, right. oftentimes if, when they say no to parents, parents just agree because they think that's the only option they have. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, that's why I say, you know, our, our OZ Autism is about education. And, Rob, like I said, I was very happy for you to participate in our workshop because oh, we were yeah. doing monthly workshop, and every month we have these great speakers and leaders in the field of autism that comes and, and um, offer their services to us. You know, and as you know, OZ Autism believes in free education and free mm-hmm. services and that children have the right to succeed. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's one thing, like I said, as a child with special needs, or you know, I went through that struggle. I was told I wasn't smart in high school. Oh, you know, wow. I actually, as a secretary in college in Loma Linda, I worked uh-huh. for a psychologist, and I had such a hard time writing down phone numbers. You know, even calling in, in the station today, I dialed wow. the wrong number, and I swore it was right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was asked as a secretary in college not to pick up the phone. I thought I was going to get fired. You know, wow. but as a result, I became a graduate assistant, and uh-huh. I became a, 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 a assistant professor, professor at Loma Linda when I was, I think, in my early 20s, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing is that I believe that our disabilities is, doesn't limit what we can do, but it actually opens new doors for us and actually gives yeah. us a different perspective on how we see the world and how the world views us. You know, so yeah. I always feel like I'm one of the kids, and I think that's where my passion comes from. Well, and, you know, and I think hearing your comments, um, and again, I think this is one of the things that, again, I, I like about OC Autism, you, you talked about education, and, and your message, and, and where I constantly, when, when I separate myself from the world that I'm a part of, you know, when I separate mm-hmm. myself from the community, and I, I try periodically to step out and try and look in from an outsider to just clear my own head and, and get myself a fresh perspective, Mm-hmm. It's how hard it is for a parent to be an advocate for themselves and their child because of how complicated the system is and how limited the information is available of how to navigate the system. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's a, a lot of, you know, the, the last year and a half, I feel like that is the overarching theme. You've got to be an advocate. You've got to uh-huh, fight for uh-huh. your kids. No one's going to fight for your kid harder than you will fight for your kid. But how does a parent learn? And it seems like that's something that we are lacking. And I know your group does an incredible job of trying to fill the void. But when I look Mm -hmm. almost globally or look nationally, how many groups out there are like yours that are saying, I'm going to put together a monthly, a free monthly workshop for you to learn you know, in my case, it was here's how to learn to navigate this new insurance system that Correct. you maybe weren't aware of. Maybe the next guest is here's how to navigate your school district and the IEP process mm-hmm. and what your rights are. It feels like there's a lack of that, especially people who go in-depth. You almost get like the standard, 
but there's not that opportunity to really ask your questions and really learn how to apply it to your child. Yes, yes. Like I said, um, there are the, the information's all out there, but how do you sift through all those information? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I, I always talk about, and, and that's what, that's our goal this year with OC Autism. You know, we've we've actually um, revamped everything, and we're we're just changing how we approach the community because as we grow, we're actually having more than we can handle. Um, uh-huh. We were like I, we were getting ten to twenty thousand hits on average last year a month on our website. And uh-huh. I think in November, December, it hit 40,000 and it crashed our site. <laughs> wow. You know, so that was a good problem to have. So we just actually just launched it again. But, you know, okay. there's so much updating that we have to do. But I think for OC Autism, we're here to, to bring together leading, fields of, leading, leading leaders in our, our field to help us provide that information. We actually just uh, we're, we actually got a, a, a grant from Autism Speaks. It's a community grant, and nice. the project that that I had written for is called Autism in Any Language, and that means let's simplify autism. So first of all, English is English, and that we can understand it, because sometimes even though we speak English, we speak ABA, or we speak right. speech pathology. You know, to me, that's actually not regular English. And so one of our projects is to simplify our world as professionals to the lay term where someone mm-hmm. can identify with. You know, one mm-hmm. of the goals with ABA is, is a girl practical? Is it socially mm-hmm. significant, right? We remember that learning the ABA programs. But that's one thing that, that we fail to, to consider when we educate our, our community about autism, about the services. So my goal this year is to hopefully, um, by the end of the year, to have some video clips and to, to invite leaders in our field to just make five-minute clips. Because mm-hmm. you can go on, you know, the Yale Child Study Center or UC Davis and have so many hours of videos and hundreds of hours that we can watch. But as a parent, oftentimes you always hear parents say, I don't have time, or it's just too much information, you know. So we're hoping mm-hmm. that we can condense information to make it more practical and just give them a couple of take-home message each video and yeah. cover a range of topics. Yeah, no, what you're saying makes perfect sense. I mean, we do, we've been doing for probably as long as we've done the show, we've been doing video blogs, which I must admit I've gotten a little uh, – a little lax on, on updating <laughs> as frequently, but we find that it, it's what you're saying is um, most people, if we made anything over, I think we did some that were like seven, eight minutes and a lot uh-huh. of people, you know, you kind of tune out after a certain number of minutes and the ideal yes. no, amount was really like, we found like three and a half, four minutes was like our target. If we can get a quick message that gets you started, it's like, here's a cool concept Let's apply it. Let's introduce it to you. Let's give you some exposure, and then let's give you some resources if you want to do more with this of, or, or how you can do more with this. Um, it worked so much better. It was you know, three, four times as many people would tune in for completion of that compared to uh-huh. like a, even a 10-minute thing. Yeah, and I think it, for us to, be, um, to work towards the needs of the families, and I think mm-hmm. as I work with families, I'm hearing that request. So, yeah. you know, when we call it autism in any language, the goal is for us to start with English to translate ABA and speech to English and then to also to move it to the different minority groups 
you know, cool. including, you know, starting with Vietnamese and Spanish and yeah. Japanese and all these things, you know, because we know we live in a very diverse community. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's very important to make sure that we reach everybody. But, you know, I've already reached out to, to so many professionals and everybody is so receptive. You know, oh, so good. I even called Carol Gray and she says, yeah, just let me know. I'll go in studio for you. Nice. You know, I talked to Dr. Donnelly, you know, who's who, who's a, a neurologist here in Orange County. And, you know, I'm I'm at a, a nice, friendly conversation with a lot of the leading people in the field. And it's so great that they're so accessible, you know. And that's yeah. what I'm hoping for, too, to utilize my connections in the field. You know, as I work as an expert witness, I get to meet such great people and leaders mm-hmm. in our field that I want to utilize that connection and bring them to our parents. You know, mm-hmm. so it might be very hard to get an appointment at the Center for Autism, but maybe we can start by doing this. You know, and in the meantime, while you're waiting, you can learn this. You know, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that we can do. Um, I don't believe in waiting. I don't like the wait-and-see technique. I like right. to see, you know, let's fill in the gap, and, you know, if, if if we have to wait here, we can go to Plan B, you know. Right. So that's one thing is I do see a great urgency in having that comprehensive program very early on. You know, as a speech pathologist, you know, I, I've been in the field for over 17 years. And looking back, I didn't realize how how, time, how much time has flown by. But when I look back, I just see that, you know, so many people just um, don't understand what intensive therapy means or what early intervention means. You know, one of the ways I've actually been communicating to parents, you know, one of my, um, one of my platform when I go on TV in, in our community is that I always mm-hmm. talk about early intervention before age two. And everyone's like, wow, that's really early. And I said, no, that's very late. Because mm-hmm. as a speech pathologist, I always tell my parents, I want you to set me up for success. Because if I'm successful, your child is successful. Because right. if, a, if, a, if, if I see, it, it, actually, I have a nephew in the family. At six mm-hmm. months, I saw signs. And, you know, as a person in the family, you just can't be quiet. You just really want to say something. So at six mm-hmm. months, I, I, I said something, but I said it gently. Right. And, you know, I, I pushed at 12 months. I pushed a little bit harder, you know, and especially when my family member actually works in the field. And sometimes those are the harder people to, to get to. But, yeah. you know, when, we, when a child is one year old and I can identify, if I can see some signs at, at, at six months, my goal was to push mom hard enough just to make sure that first word comes in at the right time. Mm-hmm. So that makes us more successful. You know, moving forward, you know, by the time we get to 18 months, my job still was only 15 words. That's very attainable, correct? You know, so if yeah. your ABA goal was just to get 15 words and he's age appropriate, I love that. But, you know, rarely do we, do I get a child before 15 months, you know. Yeah. And then as a speech pathologist, my hard, my hard part is two years old to me is almost too late because I almost feel that it's setting me up for failure and making the, the, the child's efforts more because now my job is to try to get to two, 300 words in two-word combinations, you know. Yeah. And I think it's not to say that it's too late at two or it's not to say it's too late at five, but... Essentially, we can, as clinicians, we can get very far with intensity of services and the quality of services. But mm-hmm. if a parent helps us identify those signs early, if the parents um, set us up for, for success early on, I think it's a great win-win situation for everybody. You mm-hmm. know, So that's one thing I say is that I really want early intervention before age two. Well, and it becomes, that's my biggest I mean, thing. We're, we were talking before about just, 
quality and, and the funding structure. I mean, unfortunately, so much of the system we work in has a very short-term lens. And mm-hmm. what gets lost is if you give a child intervention at, let's say, a year and a half, so before uh-huh. two, we know, the research shows us, the long-term effects are going to be far greater for that child than if we started that intervention at five. And what then are the costs associated with those long-term benefits? I mean, there's there's research out there, but we need more of it to show, hey, this early intervention is going to have these long-term benefits, these long-term gains, and hey, funding system, funding structure, regardless of which one, school, regional center, insurance, state, I mean, whoever it is, Mm -hmm. if you are worried about the costs, which oftentimes the funding sources are, hey, here's the cost. This is the long, this is a long-term thing. This is not just for four years. This is someone's life. And they're going to make so much more progress, be a happier person, be a more successful person. And that in turn will lead to decreased costs to you because they're going to be able to do everything themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and especially I think that gets, that when our lost. children grow, if our children grow to become productive members of society, they're going to contribute to the to the community. You know, exactly. and I think that's very important too. That you know, I actually um, wrote an, an article for Casha recently that should be coming uh-huh. out in April. Is I, I my question, a proposed question is, do we need autism? You know, and I think that's a, when my friends read that title, they say, "What are you talking about?" And to me, you know, autism is not is not a is not a terrible sentence. Autism is, sure. is looking at what are the child's needs and what are the ways when we make a child successful. And mm-hmm. success is not always about having that fancy job. To me, success as a clinician and even as a mom is that I want my children to be happy. You know, mm-hmm. whatever job that they choose, for whatever field that they pick, and whatever, you know, what, whatever um, position they, ha- they have in the community, I think it's valued. You know, Mm-hmm. So bottom line, OC autism is here to make sure parents learn to make their child successful. And we have to redefine what success is for each child and each family. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've been, we've been talking and going, and we're actually out of time. Um, oh, so, okay. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't get to go too much into your, your speech background, but I think uh, the conversation we had was was really a great one. Um, you know, you mentioned OC Autism's website and having a new website, um, but I don't know if everyone has the, uh, the, the site address, so I'm hoping you could share that for people who want to um, find OC Autism and learn more about what you guys are doing. Well, our website is www.ocautism.com, and basically it's a resource website. Um, okay. It's what I call my ADHD job I try to do as much as I can, but I, mm-hmm. I, we always look for people to contribute to it, to add to it, to, um, to give us some guidance. And I think it's a great place for families to come on to the monthly calendar, and I think that's why there's so much hits on our website, is we try our best to put it all in one place. So we update our monthly calendar all the time. And organizations like, like, like AST, if you have great events, let us know. And we definitely will put that into consideration for our homepage, which everybody gets to see. You know, so I think that's one thing that we do. Um, we always want to make sure we expand our local directory. Uh, we're working on um, on identifying some schools in in our community that works with children with with autism. You know, the NPSs, um, looking at NPAs, and mm-hmm. we're, we, you know, the hard part is 
we don't want to be a Yelp where you, you rate everybody, but sometimes yeah. um, maybe instead of saying this is good and this is bad, we might say, okay, this has the, 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 the gold star. You know, I think that might be mm. a, a nicer way to put it because sure. one parent may be happy with one organization and that, that it might not work for another, you know. So since the children's needs are so diverse, we just have mm-hmm. to match the child's need with the right organizations and the right clinicians. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, well yeah. So, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank and you for I being would on love the show. to um, be of any guidance and services um, if anyone needs it. And I think um, if there's any um, guidance that, that the community or parents may have with questions, they can always email us at contacts at ocautism.com too. Um, but we always have community events throughout the year. Uh, we have one coming up in April, on April 12th, and it's our, our annual carnival party. You know, unfortunately, um, it's privately funded by myself and a few of, our, of my friends, so we're able to throw a party for about 500 people. You know, as we get wow, more support so within good. the community, you know, we, we want to expand that. We, we, we would love to be able to rent out a park for somewhere and yeah. let kids come in for, for unlimited rides. You know, so um, the vision of OC Autism is ever-changing. And um, it's really guided by the feedback we get within our community. Awesome. But thank you again for having me. No, thanks for being here. It was great having you. Thank you again. Well, we are we're at the tail end. It's uh, literally that that final minute or so. So um, uh, it was it was great to have Julie on the show. It's it's actually been a while since her and I have chatted. So it was it was kind of cool to uh, in, in many ways pick up right where we left off. Uh, the last time we did see each other, um, and I definitely recommend anyone in the area. Um, the the workshops they provide are incredible and are really diverse. And uh, as you can hear from her, just her message, her purpose, the um, the education piece and the advocacy piece is is a big part of what OC Autism is doing. Um, well, we are going to take a break for another week we'll be back next week i'm not entirely sure who our guest is going to be next week we probably are still uh finalizing that but um in terms of what i've seen so far i know we've got two real good ones uh on deck so tune in next week here our next guest and uh as always if you've got questions comments anything uh more info at autismtherapies.com as well as post something on our Facebook page. Uh, We've been getting a lot of great comments and questions there, um, and we'd love to keep hearing more of them. Hope you guys have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Autism Spectrum Radio. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode. Or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows. Too soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know 
all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.